You're listening to the Owner Build podcast, where each week, Paul Hemming from C-Link interviews experts on how small and medium-sized developers can level up their business through intelligent construction management. Hello and welcome to episode 27 of the Only Build podcast with Paul Hemming and my good friend, Curls. What is happening in your world today, Liam Curley? Um, hello, Paul. Um, there's a, that's quite a difficult question to start <laughs> oh, with. You know? I know. I know you're I'm not, you're not holding back, are you? Um, <laughs> what is happening? That, I think it's quite easy. Everything actually. has been focused on this podcast for me, to be honest. <laughs> I've this is been, gonna be a 10 out of 10 it's, performance. It's, it has just been getting in the right frame of mind for this. And uh, I've meditated for the past 10 hours. So you're really zen. Might have well done it, to be honest. <laughs> well, that's where I'm at. You, you have started incredibly positively. So I'm I'm thinking it might have been a uh, a good choice, mate. It's a good choice. Okay. So we're we're joined or rejoined by um Ian Humphreys, who is a familiar voice uh, to our listeners. He is the co-founder of Brickflow, the UK's first search engine for development finance. Welcome back, Ian. How are you doing? Yeah, good, Paul. Good to see you. Um, speak as well. And uh, and Liam, you are sounding properly zen. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks, Ian. Your, good uh, to see you. Ca- got your candles on as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm ready. Yeah, I'm really ready for this. <laughs> so, so Ian, just I know you've been on the show before, and people will uh, know who you are. But for any new listeners, just give us a little bit of a recap on you and Brickflow. Yeah, sure. So, uh, Brickflow is a comparison tool, I guess you would say, for development finance. So, it allows uh, users to enter their site requirements. So their, their land costs, their build costs, uh, GDP, uh, GDV, et cetera. And we search um, 28 lenders now. I think it'd be 30 as of next week. And our algorithm basically matches you to the, the best lender uh, according to your circumstances. So it, it cuts through you know, the weeks and months that it normally takes you to, to find the right package. Um, so the search takes about two minutes um, to enter your details. And you get the instant feedback. And then what you do is, is you uh, create a project appraisal within the platform. And then that's published. And lenders are then invited to submit their final bids on, on that project. So kind of what you guys do is a competitive sort of tendering process for the, for the funding. So, you know, the initial search is done on where the location, the, the geography, the loan quantum, you know, all of that stuff. But... It's the more detail that you put in about your own experience as a developer and obviously about the project itself. That's when you start getting lenders, you know, up in their game. So if it's a project they really want to fund, then, they're, you know, they're, they're, they're sort of reduce their rates and maybe up their leverage to, to try and win the deal. So it works quite nicely. Yeah, just creating a competitive environment for development finance effectively, aren't you? Well, that's it. Isn't it? It's like, you know, developers... Um, you know, they they tender everything, and the one thing they don't is funding. And you know, I've spoken to people before who would be screwing their sort of contractor on the amount of uh, amount nails costs, or like 
They're always going after the construction yeah, guys. Yeah. Well, that's the easy option, isn't it? And, but then they'll go and speak to the one development lender they know and, and pay, you know, an extra 50, 60, 100 grand in development finance costs um, that they didn't need to pay. So it's a bonkers way not to Not anymore, to Ian. Not anymore. No, no. You're, you're changing the way it works. Yes. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's really cool. And I see that you, you seem to be having lots of su- success stories at the moment. Seems to be growing really nicely as a business. So uh, long may that continue for you. Thanks, mate. Yeah, no, it's, it's good. We've got, I think what's nice now is starting to see bigger projects come through. So we just funded one, which is 63 units in the Midlands. So we're starting to see, you know, bigger, bigger transactions come through and people are really, and, and I think what's probably the best advertisement is that we've got people coming back. So, you know, we've got one guy who's now doing his fourth scheme with us and we've only been operating eight months. Uh, we've got... I was going to um, say, he's a busy guy, isn't he? He is. Well, do you know what it was? He's, he was he was probably, as most developers are, he's very guilty of just using, going back to the same lender each time. And the key thing is that every lender calculates finance differently. So, you know, whilst they might have been the best lender on a site previously, they're not going to be the best lender each time. So... He, he basically was using the same lender and it just being a bit lazy. And then he came to the platform and realized that actually he could do much more with less. So he's now what would the equity would have used on one scheme. He's now being able to spread that and, and actually do three schemes at the same time with the same amount of money just by wow. being, you know, what, what, that's what's an possible. That's endorsement, isn't it? Yeah, I think that's what happened. That was a good good little story you got in there. Yeah. <laughs> We actually, you know, I got a better one. We actually had a guy. I thought he was going to cry the other day because oh. um, he he put two million pounds into a project, and um, he'd been offered three or four really good schemes over the two years since he he'd started. And then I said, "Well, look, let's run those numbers through the platform." And uh, we ran them through, and, and and there was a lender basically that was said they they would have funded the scheme for him with seven hundred grand of deposit. And he was he was really really upset because he he, he was like, look, I passed over you know, three or four really great opportunities because I didn't have any cash, and that's what we're just being able to show people is actually you can do more with less. You've been able to make people cry, and that's 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 what that's what your business is all about, yeah, reducing right. people to tears. Exactly. Charming, charming. So. Happy tears, hopefully. <laughs> what I find really interesting about talking with you, in is that you have, because you've got 28 lenders, as you say, you have a really good overview of of the marketplace, if that makes sense. And obviously that's growing month on month and it's developing. Now, you said last time that we were speaking on the podcast that you were doing some lender research, questionnaire survey of, of sorts. Um, I wanted to explore that with you today. So first and foremost, what was... What was the research specifically? Well, we I think we were off the back of the last podcast. We were interested to see how lenders might react to you know C Link being in the, in the mix in in the process. And you know I think what the 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 main question to to be answered really is is how lenders view self build. You know when you're procuring uh, or your procurement method is self management. So it's probably worth explaining why lenders prefer a main contractor most of the time. And, and to be honest, boo, yeah. um, the, the main, <laughs> main reason is, is it's easier for them, right? Because if the scheme goes wrong, it's easier to, to come in and assume the contract and manage one contractor rather than coming in and you know getting rid of the, the guy that's managing it and managing 15 subcontractors. 
Um, so from a lending perspective, you know, there's less risk involved when it's a main contractor. However, as we all know, there is a lot of upward pressure on, on land prices. You know, there's perhaps uh, a, a bit of detachment with reality from landowners, I think, with when it comes to um, what they're trying to sell. So for developers to make sites work, you know, there needs to be some kind of saving. You know, our build costs through a main contractor are generally going to be the same whether I use one or another. There's obviously margins. My GDV, barring any sort of financial catastrophes or economic catastrophes, is, is relatively fixed. My land price is relatively fixed. So, you know, how can I save money? And, and one way of obviously doing that is, is, to, is to manage the, um, the build yourself, which obviously where, where you guys come in. So, so, yeah, the questions we were asking these lenders was essentially, you know, how do you view self-build? How do you, what, at what point will you support someone self-building? And, um, you know, if they're using C-Link, is that going to be of benefit to, to you in terms of um, understanding the risk of, of those subcontractors? Excellent. Okay, so sticking with the first question then, so that you, you, mm. you, you said there, how do, how do they view self-build? What are the risks that they see? Well, I, I think as we touched on, you know, it's, it, for them it's, ease of um, stepping into the position if if needed. I mean, we must like um, explain here, Let, that doesn't normally happen, right? So generally lenders, schemes don't go wrong that often. So it is a kind of really something that they just don't expect to happen. But if it does, they want it to be, you know, quite smooth and easy to, to, to jump into. So the self-build part is, they basically want someone to have done it before. So they're, they're ideally looking for someone that's done it two or three times before at least. And then they're quite happy with, with um, self-procurement. But we, we've had situations before, especially on bigger schemes, where even though we've had a developer where they've built, uh, they've self-managed you know, multiple times, and then they've stepped up in terms of um, scale or size of the scheme, and the lenders pushed back and said that they want a main contractor involved, and and then that that means you pivot perhaps to a different lender, and that's part of the beauty of the platform is that you know if one lender becomes difficult, you know with with how you want to operate, then you can you can pivot to somebody else. But the, yeah, the key is really to to see that you've done it a couple of times before. You you mentioned there that two or three times. They, they want lenders would want to see that you've delivered two or three times and then you stressed at least so if i've done it once it's kind of ir- irrelevant i need to have this su- substantial track record i think that the sort of feedback really is that if you're a construction professional then so your you your prof- your career has been built around as a pm or a qs or you know you you have managed builds professionally then I think there's a lot more scope to to flex those rules. But if you are a developer that that doesn't have a construction background, then I think you know two or three is is kind of the minimum they would do, they would expect before they they'd be supportive of that method. Ian, if you're a developer without any of that experience, but you can point to your internal project manager who does have that experience, I don't know if your research clarified this, but does that is that a solution? Yeah, hundred percent. I mean, that that's te- tends to be what happens. You know, first time someone develops, um, is is that they buy in that experience, right? So they they're either incentivizing 
or there's you know some kind of profit share or there is uh, another mechanism to ensure the strategic alignment between the developer and and the um, main parties so what we would say and i think we touched on this last time we spoke is is that if you don't have the experience and everyone's got to start somewhere you know lenders are pretty much split on on and, and and we asked this question of them as as part of our criteria is they're pretty much split 50 50 in terms of what's more important the contractor or the project manager so some go towards contractor some go towards pm but i think the key is that with self-build and 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 that would be regardless of of where the um of whether you're self-building or or whether you're looking to have a main contractor but i think with self-build is seen as a different risk because there is certainly more there's more administration involved there's more parties involved so there's more that could go wrong whereas if you're a main contractor you know managing trades is is your job whereas if you're a developer you know if you've not come from that background then you know it could be a bit of an eye opener to you so having that that sort of on hand experience professional sitting alongside you that can do all of that is 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 key is a massive value add yeah i know that makes total sense okay well let's explore the rest of the research on the other side of this break now I wanted to take a quick break from the show to share a message from our sponsor, C-Link. C-Link is software designed to streamline the process of subcontract procurement. It's a platform that helps SME developers and main contractors stay agile whilst replicating the commercial scale and savvy of large contractors. If you want to save a guaranteed minimum 5% against budget construction costs on your next project, head to www.get.c-link.com slash podcast to find out more. If you're driving or working out right now and didn't catch that URL, don't sweat it. We've included the link in the description box for this episode. Now let's get back to the show. So obviously, you're kind of seeing, Ian, how lenders change over time. Is that right? So when you're getting criteria from them as to how they will then, how the algorithm will effectively give results, how often are they updating like their criteria, if that makes sense? We tend to speak to each lender once a quarter. So we, they're obviously encouraged if there's any like criteria change to flag it to us. So rate changes and things like that. And generally, they're pretty good at that. But um, yeah, in terms of like nuanced criteria, so we we collect uh, 121 different data points from each lender. So it's quite an arduous task, as you can probably appreciate. Um, but there are always there are always things, new things that that come up, new questions that get asked by developers, and you know we want to try and cover as many of them as we can. So yeah, we we try and we try and uh, well we do at the moment get it once a quarter and and there are changes. I mean sometimes it is just a case of no nothing's changed, but then there are sort of little things that that lenders like to update as the market changes. You know, obviously big changes that we've seen in in the recent past are uh, lenders' views towards commercial. So you know, obviously pre-COVID, 
is a very different um, market. But you know, trying to fund retail or or offices now is a bit more challenging because of uh, COVID. So you know, res- residential for sure is 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 the is everyone's bag at the moment. I mean, we we have actually um, just been asked to quote on some offices, um, and there is definitely appetite if if they're pre let. That's the same across most um, commercial asset classes. They're the only real asset class commercially where you put potentially would get funding without a pre-let or a pre-sale is is logistics. So, you know, there's obviously high demand for that sector at the moment, um, and a well-located logistics unit could potentially be funded on a on a speculative basis. Because that, that's kind of what I wanted to ask you is: is there anything specific in the marketplace now that is affecting lenders' thinking? Um, I think there always there's always something that that's going to affect the way uh, lenders behave. I mean, I thought what was quite interesting was in in January, February of this year. I think pretty much every lender reached out to us and said, "Look, we're we're hungry to lend. You know, we've got money. Uh, we want to lend." Because a lot of them paused or some shut their doors completely during the first lockdown, and so you know, I think uh, a lot of them are, are trying to make up on lost ground. Also, I think. You know, there's a there's a lot of uh, heat around the the sector, isn't there? You know, there's a, there's a lot of uh, political uh, political rhetoric and other things in the press that you see that that tend to lend to to support to the construction industry. So, yeah, I think it's it's a sector that that piques a lot of people's interest. And I think one of the things that we see a lot at the moment is is people trying to get into the sector that you know have no construction experience or you know nothing. To do with property beforehand, but you know, want to want to sort of get into it and 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 try and make a living out of it. So, yeah, it's um, usually from like the finance the finance sector is is that or yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, I, I I tend to think with development. I mean, project management is basically what you're doing and, and risk management. So anyone that's worked in in roles where they, those two skills are needed i think is they're very transferable so you know if you've worked in in finance like you've worked in the city and we 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 see a lot of developers coming from that background a lot of accountants as well so people that understand risk and can manage risk and 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 mitigate risk you know they they generally do quite well in construction we find it's it's funny isn't it It does does seem to attract a lot of people from that sector into property it does seem to be a sector which is attractive to people who've got um cash at hand if that makes sense and and want to change their lifestyle yeah i I think you know if you've worked in the city and you've you know worked for perhaps a bank or a law firm or something like that where you've been working some pretty solid hours you know the the thought of being in construction is more attractive, right? You know, you might get seen. I don't think the thought of being in construction is more attractive. The thought okay, of being in real estate, in, you know, real it's estate a bit more in properties. Yeah, yeah. But you know, the the um, you know, you might get to see your kids once a day, you know, that that kind of it, it, it's all just, good things. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's 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 probably uh so we we do see a lot of people from that space migrate, you know, if they've made a um you know bit of money, they're sitting on some equity. Lending in development is is all about risk, and and so lenders like to see you know a well healed borrower because where where experience perhaps is lacking, you know a strong 
balance sheet, strong personal guarantee is favourable, right? You know, so that's that's really what it's about for lenders is is that risk mitigation, and and the strong balance sheet goes a long way towards that. Ian, just talking about that risk mitigation and going back to to what you said about there's like approximately a 50-50 split between lenders that are open to lending for self-building or, or construction management and 50 that aren't. And, no, and you're also going... The, um, it was more on there, if if, you've, if you're lacking development experience, um, lenders will, will fall down sort of circa 50% would prefer the contractor to be incentivized and, and bought into the deal. And 50% want to see the project manager bought in. So oh, um, when I say bought in, I mean, I mean by um, a, a good example, we, we, we did a, we funded a scheme recently in the Midlands where uh, the guy who was um, purchasing schemes, his second scheme, the first scheme he did was one, he was one of um, three. So there was two other people uh, involved and his role was more the, uh, he was at more of the overseer. So the, one of the guys that was involved was uh, was a builder. One was uh, a QS. So he was more dealing with the uh, legalities. He was dealing with the administration, you know, warranties, all of those kind of things. And then he was dealing with the sales at the end. So he didn't do any of that kind of middle section with with the construction. And and when we so, but on paper, he just been he'd been a shareholder in a six unit scheme which had been delivered um, um, successfully on time, on budget. We were then going to, to fund him again for a different scheme, but he was doing it on his own this time. And Lender said, okay, well, look, on paper, you, you're, you're doing exactly the same thing, but you've actually got, you know, a lot of the experience you had before is no longer there. So what, what happened, um, you know, some lenders said, you know, look, we, we, we can't do it. And what we ended up, agreeing with the lender was that we would the QS would come in um, and take a five percent profit share in the scheme for um so they would, their normal contract rate applied I think you know maybe it was a reduced rate but the QS stood to um who was project managing um stood to uh, gain a five percent profit share in the event the scheme was um, delivered on time and on budget and there was other KPIs that needed to be met but but what it did then is it gave the lender a lot of confidence that you've got, you know, a 25-year sort of industry veteran like working alongside and strategically All aligned with, with yeah. the developer. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, and five percent on the deal was, you know, it was a decent amount. It was, you know, fifty or sixty thousand bonus if you delivered on time and on budget. So you know, that that's what we mean by strategic alignment or bringing them in, uh, bringing in somebody when you don't have the experience yourself and 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 some lenders will want that from the contractor and some lenders will want it from the from the project manager and there are other ways of doing it you know, they can actually become shareholders in the deal um so on that particular one i don't think he became a shareholder i think it was just a five percent profit share but on other deals we've seen where the actual you know contractor or the pm becomes a shareholder and then there's other implications, you know, if they provide cash into the deal, as well as perhaps um, some sweat equity, they reduce their fees um, to to uh, or reduce their costs um, to to benefit from from a profit share. Again, a lender's really going to like that. Um, and and then even better still, if they're pre- prepared to sen- sign the personal guarantee as well, then you know, lenders, <laughs> they're love lenders that. over yeah. the moon, you know. And you've got a contract who's putting in 
100 grand of real equity, 100 grand of sweat equity, and he's signing the personal guarantee. I mean, why wouldn't I back you as a lender? So there's, there's different levels, right? Um, and it's all about making the deal work for you and, and the other parties. But, you know, risk mitigation is, is key for lenders. And it's about getting the, the right people involved. But you've got to trust these people, right? Because once they do become involved, you can't just walk away. They are partners then. So, you know, don't you're just jump in into bed. Don't jump into bed with anyone, as I'm sure your mother used to tell you, Liam. <laughs> yeah, always. Yeah, well done. <laughs> Good advice, isn't it, Ian? Okay, solid advice, that. <laughs> and so well, I guess one one final question, Ian, is at the moment with the role that you're doing and with Brickflow, what are you what are you curious about? What are you guys researching at the moment? Researching? Um, yeah, what, what's your focus? Uh, as a business or personally? I guess actually, yeah. I guess more more personally, like what 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 are you curious about at the moment? What are you researching uh, in the industry? In in uh, I think mod methods of construction and modular construction is is really interesting um, because we, uh, you know, on on the platform, the way that the model is set up and the information that we take from lenders works very much on a traditional build model. So you know, land and traditional build cost so drawing on an s curve yeah so you know you kind of your incremental draws in the build phase of the of the load and um, get greater and then you get to the end and it obviously fall, falls and drops but with modular it's, it's a very different model 25 percent, sometimes more of of the construction costs need to go out up front and for a lender that's really difficult because you know they want stuff on site um, to be there so it's you know it's owned by by their borrower before they're before they're they're sending the money out so how how do they um how do they get around that so one of the one of the uh, we have a section in in our sort of data gathering um, which is all about modular and um so we're learning more about that and um learning how how lenders getting comfortable with it and it's a, it's a surprisingly small section of of the market that will support it at the moment but I think all lenders are, are certainly interested um, by it and they see it as, you know, a big part of the future. Um, but understanding it is and understanding how they, they work with it is is still a bit of a mystery. And I think, you know, that's due to a number of things. But one is, you know, we don't have um, the modular um, sort of uh, legacy that in this country that you have you know, in places in Europe and, and, and the States. And so for, for a mortgage lender, so a, a development lender is always interested, primarily interested in how they're going to be repaid. And one of the main method of repayment is obviously sale. So, well, can you get mortgages on these units? Okay, how does a mortgage lender, and, and when you're not the mortgage lender, it's difficult for you to second guess how they might do it. And until, until that, that um, the sector's more more prevalent and and there's more data to 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 uh, out there to understand how lenders approach it. It's very difficult for the development lender to say, well, do we want to get stuck with all of these units that can't be can't be mortgaged? Um, it is fascinating, isn't it? Because um, it's a double edged sword for sure. Yeah, but it, it's it's really interesting because from a construction perspective, obviously offsite construction, modular construction, however you want to call it, has been Something which I think we would all agree, as you've said, is definitely going to be a big part of the future. But it's been around now for 
for a long time, but you think, well, why isn't it? Why aren't we seeing more and more of it? But there's so many different stakeholders, isn't there? So lenders, lenders are probably not purposefully, but there's some friction there to it growing in terms of adoption. But lenders are now having to reanalyze how they cash flow projects and and so on. So it's really interesting to see how all these bits and pieces actually fit together, which is why then you think, why isn't more offsite construction being done? But there's so many different stakeholders that it's affecting it. Really interesting. Yeah, the I mean, basically, a lender will want to see. Um, so again, it's it's risk mitigation. So it's you know how long have these guys been in operation? What does their balance sheet look like? How big are they? You know that these are the kind of things that they want to know. I mean, we have seen things funded where um, the modular construction has been done in Poland. We've even seen one where it was done in in China. So you know there are um, there are lenders that will support it and that understand it very well. But the 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 point is, is normally with a development loan, obviously the the gross loan is decided. You know, as a percentage of costs and, and GDP, the lender interest is then retained, and then a hundred percent of the bill costs are, are allocated, and then the, whatever's left is your land loan. Well, with with a modular construction, because a lot of the costs are going out up front. That land loan element drops. Um, so you might find that to build something modular, whilst it might be cheaper, your initial upfront equity stake is greater. So that's why, you know, for some developers, it, it becomes more difficult to get it off the ground because you, you, you might have to pay more, you know, might have to put more in for the land, but then also more in for the for the construction element as well. And, so, the, and the lenders making it a bit more difficult because I guess they would also want to see it you do it two or three times prior as well and would they want to have some kind of track record on the modular side um i think yeah obviously preferred but i think it's more the risk is deferred to to the actual people assembling right the 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 modular manufacturer is is the person that's the risk because you know if i'm a lender and i i give 25 percent of the five million bill cost budget to these guys are they going to be here in three months time before they deliver my goods you know that that's the key thing like a lender you know is they when a when an ims goes out um a monitoring surveyor goes out to a site on behalf of uh, the lender you know they normally w- want to go and touch the things before they release the money right so kitchens are being delivered oh they're over there you know, plumbing's over there, you know, bathroom suites are over there. Okay, tick, 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 I release the money. So, well, actually, you want me to send 25 or 50% of of this money before I've even touched the, the goods. So there is that risk of will these, these things materialise. It's, yeah, it's a completely different risk profile, which I guess is taking uh, time for them to adjust to. Amazing. Yeah, so um... there's, You can get insurance for it as well. Um, you can that some of these bigger modular operators can can ensure that risk. Yeah, I'm sure that they're thinking about it a lot because obviously they need it uh, development finance to help them grow as well. That's um, really really interesting. And um, as always, Ian, we always learn so much when you come in and uh, and, and talk to us. So it's real real pleasure to have you in. And we'll be popping um, your details and Brickflow's details in the uh, episode description. And um, yeah, thanks so much for coming. In and I guess we'll we'll probably see you soon, Ian. Yeah, look forward to it. Cheers, guys. Good to catch up. That was great, Ian. Good to see you. Good to hear from you. And just glad that you're you're doing so well as well, Liam. And um, looking forward to seeing you next week, mate. Oh, I don't know about that, mate. I think I'm I'm either overcooked or undercooked. <laughs> I'm not sure which way you'd put it, but I, 
I think I'm there. Less meditation next time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Possibly so. Possibly so. But, yeah. All right. See you, see okay. you next week. Cheers, Ian. Cheers, guys. See, see you. Bye. Cheers, mate.